Okay, how's that? That's better, huh? All right. These are holy hands. Not because I said it, because Jesus said it. We're going to explain that today. Who we are in Christ. But it's going to take us a minute to get there. So, some of you uh, prepare to be frustrated because I'm going to talk about us. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for another opportunity to worship you. And Lord, through the preaching of your word, we ask that you do what only you can do and just bless this congregation, bless each and every one of us with more truth, knowledge, and understanding of who you are and the role that you play in our lives. And Lord, I thank you now in advance for what you're about to do in and through this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I, I, I kind of turned around this morning, and I thought I saw some, some newlyweds. Am I right? Here they go. Stand up. May God continue to bless your long, long marriage together. God bless you. So now, I've always called the Bible a Jesus book. It's a book about Jesus. It, and what I mean by that is we, we are born separated from God. Psalms 51 David tells us that I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. In other words, David and, and we are born with this sin nature and shaped with a natural bending away from the things of God. We are born guilty because of the original sin in the garden. Our sin nature has been passed down through the bloodline of Adam. Acts 17.26 says, From one man made all nations. From one man he made all nations. King James says, From one blood we all come into this world. And that's how we have this sin nature, born separated from God. And that's why Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. All means all. When all is the word, that means nobody is left out. All have sinned. 
and fall short of the glory of God. So, the reason why I refer to the Bible as a Jesus book is Jesus is the only one that can fix the damage, the separation from God, fix the damage that was caused in the, in the garden. He's the only one. So in reality, we come into this world with Adam as our father. You know, the Bible is clear. You know, it, it talks about a second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. The first Adam messed up. And the second Adam, Jesus Christ, fixed it. So as we read and study the Old Testament, we should be looking for types and shadows of Jesus in the New Testament. All the stories, all the situations that the children of Israel went through in the Old Testament oftentimes are types and shadows of Jesus Christ that are fulfilled in the New Testament. Even in the story of the original sin in the garden. In chapter 3, God explained to them the consequences of their sin. He explained it to them that you've done this, this is what the results will be. But then it says that, that, that God clothed them or covered them with skins. So God made the first sacrifice. I don't know what animal he used, but he used the skin of that animal to clothe them, cover them. This pointed to the sacrificial system that was set up where the children of Israel, every year they had to journey to Jerusalem to make their animal sacrifice, which covered their sins for that past year. And they did this every year, that covering, the sacrificial system. And we know that the sacrificial system was a type of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came out of the wilderness and John the Baptist saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we don't have to go to Jerusalem and make sacrifices, animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So let's look at numbers. And if you're able, please stand. Numbers, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 9. And it reads as follows. When the Canaanite 
the king of Arad, who lived in Negri, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Athram. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus, the name of the place was called Homai. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. So many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that anyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. You may be seated. Look up and be saved. So a little bit of background. The children of Israel have behind them the Passover. Exodus 12. The last plague that that uh, hit Egypt. The children of Israel were instructed to kill an animal, put the blood over the doorpost, and the death angel passed over. They saw that. They lived that. Then you have the crossing of the Red Sea, how they were caught between the deep Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's army and God opened up the Red Sea and they went across on dry land. There's a song about that. Pharaoh's army got drowned in the deep Red Sea. Then they had the experience of the bitter water at Mara. Traveling in the wilderness, thirsty, tried to drink the water at Mara, and it was bitter. God instructed Moses to take a branch from a tree, throw it in the water, and the water became drinkable. They envisioned all of this. Then he led them to the sweet wells at Elam, 12 wells full of sweet, good water. 
than the giving of the law. Where Moses went up to the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, and came down with this glow because he had seen the hind parts of God. Had to put a veil on his face because the people couldn't stand to see the glory that he was displaying. The tabernacle, the very presence of God, how when the, the pillar cloud showed up, symbolizing God was there and, and Moses was speaking with God. Pillar of fire that led them by night. They visioned all of this. Time after time, God showed up and showed out. And yet, people still complain. So in this portion of scripture, we see the children of Israel are attacked by the Canaanites. They pray. And again, the Lord shows up and shows out. Verse 3 says, The Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And it seems like immediately the children of Israel began to complain. Immediately. Verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. Now let's understand this land of Edom. Edom was the land given to Esau. The land given to, to Esau. who was the older brother of Jacob. Now, how these two fit together, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So in the book of Numbers, God developed this, this system. Uh, in fact, Numbers... Uh, means arithmetic. That's where we get our, I don't know how they pronounce the actual word, but in our language it means arithmetic. So God is dividing and working out these numbers. That's how we ended up with the 12 tribes. God, God created a system of order among the, the children of Israel. So, so, Esau was the twin brother of Jacob, but Esau came first. So because he was the firstborn, he was entitled to the birthright. And these birthrights were to be given by Isaac, their father. But Jacob through his trickery, 
received the birthrights that actually belonged to Esau. In fact, Jacob's name means a trickster. Uh, it's, it's called a supplanter. It's kind of like when, you know, how, how we get mad when we're driving and somebody cut us off. Or, or, or we're in a, a, a line at the, at the store and somebody play like they don't see the line and they try to cut. We don't like that. But here you got a situation where, where your brother done stole your birthright. So now that caused a problem. So I don't know why God instructed the children of Israel to go around Edom. Maybe it was to keep confusion down, whatever it might be. But the people, after they had seen all of these things that God had done for them, they complained about the journey. If you let me use my imagination for a minute, um, why we got to go around? The shortest route is right there. My feet hurt. My feet hurt. Why can't we have horses like Pharaoh's army had? Complain, complain, complain. Why can't we just be there already? We got this awesome God. Just why can't we be there already? So in verse 6, God appears to be frustrated with his children. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. The Bible is clear. God is the same yesterday and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Now, if you look that up early or later, you, you'll see that it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, Jesus is God. Y'all know that, right? But there's a distinction between the two. Actually, there's a distinction between all three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the 110th Psalm, first verse, David says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But if you examine that, You'll see Lord is spelled two different ways. It says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, said to my Lord, 
capital L, small o, small r, small d. So the father is talking to the son. And how David knows this is through God the Holy Spirit. Because David is king. So who is his Lord? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thee at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, as I was I was preparing this message, I wasn't planning on on doing any of this or saying any of this, but it just came to me as I was preparing the message. I didn't start out writing the message with this in mind. So if we if we if we see through scripture that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Knowing this, can we assume that the Lord is still capable of getting frustrated with his children? And can I suggest to you that people who refuse to get vaccinated because they feel that their rights have been violated, they're trusting in in the Lord to protect them because they don't want to receive the mark of the beast. Is it possible that they are being bitten with a form of fiery serpent? Just a thought. Inoculations have been a part of this country since the very beginning. General George Washington ordered his troops to be inoculated because the majority of them were dying from smallpox. So if we are receiving the the mark of the beast. We've been receiving that mark for a long time. And what I'm saying is that whatever you believe, whatever you think, whatever you believe, establish it in God's word. Establish it in God's word. Because God's word is true. 
And to go further, is it possible that these vaccines that have been developed are a type of brazen serpent that was put on the pole by Moses? Just a thought. God created us to think and reason. But we need to think and reason from the word of God. You know, when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and he was tempted, one of those temptations was Satan told him to go up to this high mountain and cast yourself down. God will send his angels to take care of you, which is true. But Jesus says something very, very important. Thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. If God has made the means and, and capabilities to, to, to heal ourselves, and we say, God's going to take care of me. Is that tempting God? Think about it. God takes care of us when we are, I guess, what word am I trying to use? I don't want to call us a bunch of names. Um, I just use the word ignorant. God will take care of us if we are too ignorant to take care of ourselves. I'm a living example of that because I did a whole lot of ignorant stuff when I was young. But I didn't know it was God taking care of me until I actually got into his word and understood how he operates. You know that old saying, take care of babies and fools? Hey, I was one. Baby and a fool. But now I know better. My thinking and what I do is based on scripture as to the best of my ability. But just like everybody else, I sin. I sin daily. We all sin daily, either in deed or in thought. That's what Paul said in, in Romans, the seventh chapter. I got this, I got this. This, this spiritual nature, I got this Holy Spirit living in me, trying to lead and guide me, but I got this old nature too, that sin nature that wants to raise his head every now and then, and this, this battle going on. That's what Paul said. And how did he conclude it? Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this death? Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for Jesus Christ. So I hope we can clearly see that the brazen or bronze serpent is a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus said in the New Testament, John 3, 14 and 15, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him.
So today, we are saved by looking up to Jesus. Looking up to Jesus and his finished work on Calvary's Hill. Believing in the gospel, the good news, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Admitting, admitting, convicting of sin is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Convicting of sin, admitting that we are sinners, that we made some mistakes. Not to get all churchy. Some people who don't know who Jesus is never read the Bible. They might not know what sin is. You made a mistake. One mistake. You stole a pen from work. Anything is sin. Contrary to God's word. If you committed one of them, then you're in that boat. And like I said earlier, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're born all in that same boat. So you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And through the gospel message that you hear, you believe that Jesus is the Savior that you need. Then confessing him as your Lord and Savior. Confessing him. Confessing means the same thing. Saying the same thing. That's a confession. When you make a confession in a court, you're saying the same thing about yourself as the state who is prosecuting you is making. So if they've charged you with burglary and you confess that, you're saying that, yes, I burglarized that house. So when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're confessing the same thing that Jesus said about himself. I am the way the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. When we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's what we are confessing to, that Jesus is not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. We're confessing that Jesus is the only way the only truth and the only life, eternal life, only comes through Jesus. So the question is, but why would God use the symbol of evil? The serpent. To represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's almost like the, the serpent in the garden. He, he, he started all of this mess. But why would God use 
that symbol of the serpent to represent Jesus Christ. The answer is to show us exactly what happened at the cross. To show us exactly what happened at the cross. See, we, we I don't think we sometimes we really comprehend what happened at the cross. We say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he died for my sins. But he did more than that. He did more than that. Because when he, he, when he died for our sins, what about the resurrection part? What did he do in the resurrection? So we need to know the whole story. See, see when we know the whole story, it, it, it keeps us from complaining about everything. And when we come through the doors on Sunday, we come to worship. We don't, we don't come in to complain about, you know, the lights are too low or the carpet is dirty. We, we, we don't complain about that kind of stuff. We don't complain about who's not here. You're here. And your job is to worship. We come in with, with so much stuff. And a lot of our stuff just keeps us from worshiping. But we have to remember what he has done. You know, when I, when I first started preaching over 20 years ago, I was told by older preachers that, that if you don't take people to the cross, then you just got a good story. You're not preaching. You're not preaching until you share the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God. The power of God, the gospel message is what the Holy Spirit uses to convict people of their sins. So they'll know that they need a savior and that that savior is Jesus Christ. So when we talk about taking them to the cross, Jesus, who is eternal, came from glory in the form of a man. He who knew no sin became sin and went to the cross. On our behalf. He died on that cross. And rose on the third day with all power in his hand. And when we invite him into our heart and life. He saves us. From that burning hell that we're all destined to go to at birth. He saves us. And when we accept him as Lord and Savior. Savior. He saved us from a burning hell. Lord, we're going to strive to be obedient to all that he's commanded us to do. Let's look at the scripture. Where I get that from? Where you get that? Sounds good. Where you get it from? You know, that's a question I always ask. When people give me an answer to a question, my response is, especially if it's wrong, where do you find that in scripture? So Jacob, not the trickster Jacob, 
Jacob up here. Second Corinthians 5.21. And I want him to put that on the screen so everybody can read it for themselves. He made him. Who is the he? No. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what happened at the cross. I don't care if you feel righteous, if you look righteous, that's who you are. Not because I said it, because God said it in his word. That's why we come in here to worship. We come in to celebrate him, Jesus, who put us in that position. So we have no, no, no business in this old world complaining about anything because of who we are. We have a standing in this world because of our confession of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. To go back a little bit, the children of Israel moved on in their life. They went somewhere else, and they created a, a, a monument. I don't know what it was, a, 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 a statue, the brazen serpent. And they started to worship the brazen serpent. And King Hezekiah, who was a godly king, came through, and it, it talks about how he tore down all the high places, all the idols that they had put up. And one of those idols was the brazen serpent. You see that cross? That cross is empty. We don't worship a cross. We worship the one who died on the cross who died and rose again on the third day. That's who we worship. That's who paid the price. That's who put us in that position of being the righteousness of God. So, today, as the church, the ecclesia, the ones who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what happened at the cross. We are the called out ones. As body of believers, as the righteousness of God. Our job is to lift up the name of Jesus. That's our job. To lift up the name of Jesus. The one who saved us from our sins and has given us, has given us eternal life. 
We don't have to sit around and, well, I, I hope I'm saved. I, I hope I'm in the number. You are in the number. If you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God in him. And I don't care if you sinned this morning, sinned last week, because when Jesus died on the cross, all of the sins of the whole world, all of our evilness was on him. That's why he is represented by the brazen serpent. Because all of our mess, all of our hangups, all of our sins was on him when he died on the cross. So all of our sin has been paid for, past, present, and future. All of it. But you need to understand that even though we still sin, there's consequences. And the consequences can last a lifetime. Because God, we are the children of God, which means we just can't go out there and act any old kind of way. We have a higher authority that is looking at us, that knows what we do before we even think about doing it. That's the God that we serve. So we strive. That's what Lord means. We're striving to obedient to the th be obedient to the things that God has commanded us to do. We strive. We don't make excuses. If you think you have an excuse, take it to God. You know, he'll knock down your excuse just like he did everybody else who said, well, you know, I ain't capable. But he'll knock your excuse down just like he did everybody else. Moses, Jeremiah said, I'm too young. God said, don't worry about being too young. I'll put the words in your mouth you need to say to people. So the trust, trust don't come from other people. Trust don't come from ourselves. Trust comes from trusting in the God who said what he said. And what he said about us, that we are the righteousness of God in him, in him, in Jesus Christ. That song that we sang, Holy Hands, that's what we have. That's what we have. Not because I'm saying it, because that's what God says. Now, the problem that we have, are we going to believe God or believe what somebody else say? Or believe what we feel. See, feelings can mess people up. I don't feel. Oh, I feel this way. I feel that way. Find it in Scripture. Find it in Scripture. So, again, if we, as a church, worship him, Jesus, and lift up Jesus, then he will draw men, women, and children to himself. And they will be saved too. Understand your position in Christ. Give him honor. Give him glory. Worship him, and he'll take care of the rest.
So when people walk through our doors, as we grow, if they see Jesus in us, they'll want to be a part of us. If we display Jesus in our voices, in our hearts, in our minds, the Holy Spirit will move throughout this place, touching hearts and minds that need to be touched. And his kingdom will grow. Don't worry about our church. Worry about the kingdom. See, our focus has to be right. When we come through those doors on Sunday, we need to be prayed up. We don't need to be thinking about, well, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that. I don't want to sit over by so-and-so. We don't need to be thinking. That's complaining. We have nothing to complain about if we truly understand who we are in him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with us. He said it's expedient that I go. That's what Jesus said. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. If you are a believer, if you are a member of the universal church, because your confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are that person, then the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And whatever God has commanded you to do, you are capable of doing it. Because we serve a God that would never ask anybody to do something knowing that they were incapable to do it. That's why he empowers us. He empowers us. It's his power, not ours. We had no power. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, all power is given unto me. When he says all power, that means ain't no power left for nobody else. So everything that needs power comes from him. And we need to realize that. We are his vessels. We are his instruments. Pray that God uses each and every one of us for his purpose and his plan. His plan and his will is that none should be lost. So how are they going to know that? If we don't understand who we are, the righteousness of God in him. If we don't proclaim it. If we don't celebrate it. That's what we need to do as a believer, not just in the church, in the world. Let people know who you are. And once you let them know who you are, you show them how they can get there, too. That's witnessing. So first Sunday, we will start our time of witnessing. So you guys should know where it's going to lead, right? We start in here, being comfortable with our testimony as to how we got saved, and then we're going to go out there and share with other people. 
that's what we're going to do. I don't know how many people signed up. I don't know. But I'm asking you to pray about it. Write it down. And if you can't think of when that happened to you, then do it tonight. Do it today. I don't believe I ever formally invited Jesus into my heart and into my life. Let me do it today. I don't care how long you've been in church, 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but if you can't remember your salvation story, you need to get a new one. You need to get a new one. Because that's the most important part of your witnessing. How, 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 how can you tell somebody how they can get there if you can't remember how you got there? It makes no sense. So, so it's time out for going through the motions. We got to be real about this. If we want this church to go, if we want God to bless us, we got to be real. We got to be real. We got to speak truth through God's word and let God do what he wants to do in and through us, using us as his instruments, as his vessels to build the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.